Welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I am super excited to welcome my next guest, an accomplished performer, historian, author, and filmmaker. He serves as the director of the Study of the Legacy of Slavery in Maryland program at the Maryland State Archives and has spoken primarily on Black history, genealogy, and self-empowerment. With a deep understanding of the struggles of the African-American, my next guest is the gifted storyteller and is sure to inspire and educate with his unique perspective on history and culture. So without further ado, please welcome Chris Haley. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rob. And the crowd went wild. Yes, I'm thank you. No, please calm down. Calm down. Lord. They're everywhere. Oh, paparazzi. That's good. Not just Lady Gaga anymore. That's great. I, I remember... I remember um, I did this uh, this thing in a college recently, and we were doing um, digital storytelling. Okay. And it, they were asking everyone, "How's everyone feeling?" You know, you get into this process dealing with these like you know very personal stories, and I like to re- respond weirdly sometimes. Mm-hmm. I was like, "I'm whelmed." I'm like, whelmed. Hold on. I was like, "Let me." He's like, let me ask you what you mean. Bro. I like that. I like that a lot. <laughs> so. And thank you again for for being on the podcast and um you know agreeing to spend this time with me and uh the listeners and all. Um so for starters, I'd like to go in sort of this like introductory sort of lane. Like, could you mm-hmm. share like, you know, your story or what have you and and tell us a bit about like your sort of first encounters with art, with creativity, and you know, whether it be, you know, making your own sort of work or maybe even appreciating it. Cause I think it's something to be mm-hmm. said about some of those early experiences. Right. I tend to say that's such a great question because I don't know. If, I mean, there's certain questions you get over and over again. And then other ones that are self-reflective questions that you're thinking like, oh, do I even have the right to answer that question? Have I really done enough that I could that that my even my view of myself, does that really matter to some degree? But I was, so the thing about when I really became acquainted with art, I would say when I became acquainted with art to the point when I realized it was art that I was thinking about was still as a, as a kid. I mean, I know that when I was very young, which is to say single digits, I started drawing my own comic books, uh, which is to say that with, with eight and a half by 11 pages, lined pages, I would write my own text, my own dialogue with the balloons and everything. I would draw my characters and it would be about 20 pages and I would staple them together. I'd have my cover page. I have my, my back page. And then I'd have the, um, the in-between pages and they, and they were pretty much, they were superhero things. And I think I had two or three of those. My brother did the same thing. We also got comic books all the time. Now, I don't know if I thought about it as art. I just thought I was just, it was just something I loved. And so I tried to do it myself. And, and and at the same time, my father was an architect. So I guess maybe somewhere in me was was so propensity propensity to um, to express myself graphically, but also literally. <laughs> and, and again, same thing for my, my brother with, with the um, the artistic mode of it. But also very early on, I thought I, I really would like to be on stage. I really like the thought of of acting, of performing, yeah. of being other people. And I I don't know who I saw that made me think that or, or made me think that this is what I think I want to do or I feel like maybe I could be good at it. But I know the first time I ever performed, and I don't know if it was really performing, it was like I stood up and I sang. And I don't know if anybody else thought it was a performance, but I know I did it, was in a local community center. And I sang, take me out to the ball game. 
I remember it's almost like we're doing this podcast and, and people can't tell we're we have the the blur behind us. Yeah. That's sort of how I felt. It was like I was by I was by myself, standing alone, doing a solo of take me out to the ball game in the middle of this community center room. And it just seemed like people were in a semicircle behind me. And and I I, I don't remember to this day, Rob, if they clapped or anything. <laughs> I felt like I sang. A pin could have dropped, bounced and, and dropped again, and I wouldn't have heard a thing. But I thought, I think this is what I want to do. Yeah. Even if nobody's <laughs> nobody's liking it but me, I certainly am going to do this. And that's when I first remember performing to to perform or entertain, uh, other than just being in school and being a smart kid. And so they do the, the Thanksgiving play and, yeah. and you read a line and because you can read and you're up there with your little pilgrim hat or whatever. And, and but but you weren't really performing performing you were just i don't know representing sure. for, for for whatever the, the occasion is so i think that's really what it came so i was very young I, I literally was very young and ever since then i've always liked being in the field of the arts ever since it, either writing singing uh writing singing or or acting yeah. I, performing always been a part of me till to, to this day so and thank you i i i share some of that um you know, early on, uh, wanted to be a comic book guy. So definitely. Uh, and it was one of those, you know, smart kid. I'd rather hurry up and do the test, get a B, never studied, <laughs> take the B so I can finish right. the rest of that time that everyone else is struggling through the test. So I could sit there and draw the X-Men or what have you. That oh, was literally God, what I was doing. Imagine, imagine. <laughs> and then kind of going through this sort of path of always trying to look for different things that you know, kind of sparked my interest creatively, whether it was um, writing um, like short stories, um, it's like a lot of real stories um, mm, that, yeah. you know, transpired being a black man and the, being a large black kid, you know, in mm -hmm. the uh, the 90s or have you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even going into rap for a period, which was very weird. Okay. And then going into podcasting for the last like uh, 14 years. Excellent. And it's always sort of something. And I've been playing with this idea. And I go back to one of the things that you said of, can I use this term, you know, of, yeah. am I a polymath? You know, it's, uh -huh. it's kind of, kind of that, because I think we have various areas that you're interested in and you're pretty good at each one. It's, uh -huh. it's something to be said there. And I think they right. kind of serve each other too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know a friend of mine was talking to me the other day, cause I did a, uh, a career day over at, at uh, Marley Middle School, which is in the Glen Burnie area, and a, a friend of mine who uh, we've uh, we've done, you know, I'm not even sure we've done plays together, but we know the same crowd and we're both actors. <laughs> and and she was saying, so what does he say? So what are you talking about? So who, what are you representing today <laughs> in this career day? And I said, wow, that's a good question. So I I, I said, I'm here as an actor historian. So that's what I'm specifically talking to these kids about today. My path as an actor and a historian, a difference to a writer, a difference to a filmmaker, a difference to these other things. And we're, you know, th that's my focus today. So I guess it's along the lines of what of what you say, which for better and or for worse, I, I'm involved in so many things now that people will come up to me and, and none of them are, are saying it in a dispar disparaging way. It's almost like a little joke. So. So who are you now? So what are you what are you claiming to be now? What are you what are you up to now? And I think as much as I can be. It's, it's, I like that. You know, it's almost like when you're going to get those free samples. I mean, whenever they come back, if they come back with those free right. samples from like a store and you're just wearing a mask, 
you know, each time uh-huh. you want to keep getting that sample. Here's my fake mustache. Uh, here's my <laughs> doctor's costume. I'm, I'm doing all of these things. Exactly. So in that, and I think it's almost a natural segue, could you describe what your current work is as it relates to like, you know, film, as it relates to historian, as it relates to like culture, history, acting, all of the things. <laughs> okay, do sure, right. In one little small little world, uh, specifically my day job, how I pay the bills is at the Maryland State Archives uh, as director of the Legacy of Slavery Study uh, in Maryland. And so within that, the primary course has been to try to look through the primary source records, which is to say records that are that are here from the beginning of time to the end of time, which are not secondary sources. So it's not people writing about something. These are the records from which people take, take facts to write about. So, so like birth certificates are here or birth records are here, land records are here, deeds, patents for the beginning of colonization in Maryland, which is like 1635, all the way up to present day. And wills, and which is to say wills, which would include uh, people's wealth and people's possessions, which, of course, include prior to 1864 in Maryland, enslaved Africans. So that's something else that that we have tried as much as we can over the last 20 years, more specifically with this program, which has been since uh, 2005, we literally became the legacy of slavery in Maryland department has been using runaway ads, domestic traffic ads, and federal census records to identify as much as possible who the free and enslaved blacks and mulattoes were during that time frame, during the time frame that that slavery existed and even post slavery's ending through reconstruction uh, from 1864 to approximately uh, 1877. And, and that's been the crux of it. And what's so great about that, really to me, is that it is giving life to people whose life, whose liberty, whose dignity was stripped away from them. They really had, they had value, but their value was only based on what they could do for somebody else, what they could produce for somebody else, not any self-value which we try to imbue ourselves with today and our children and our and our friends and all that stuff it's just like respect yourself which was so much harder to do when the other people only respected for you for what you could do for them and 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 so that's the main thing that that i'm dealing with right now uh, dealing with but it is dealing with actually is a real word and, and and it is a i think an appropriate word because for those persons who say well that's a great job it must be really really exciting and 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 i'm thinking well yeah it is but it's not often fun (laughs) and i guess that's the thing about i I always want people to sort of remember that that as much as I, i i like doing it and i'm proud to do it and i feel like it's something that's exceptionally worthwhile it's not easy to do because it's not easy to look at the that laws that were made from the beginning of of slavery being race based in Maryland, which is 1664, yeah. where it was that if you were a black or a, a, of of African descent, you can be enslaved for the rest of your life, unless other things have like a manumission or the um, or certificate of freedom. But your, I would say, your prescribed state your assumed state was enslaved mm. because you were black 
Right. And and to see records, to read records, and to see laws that were very matter of fact about it. It's not like they're now every everything's sort of um, editorialized or, sure. or it's a snap. This is like this is the fact. If you're free black, these are the things. Well, at that point, it's saying free Negroes. <laughs> these are the things that apply to you. And if you're a white person who decides to have children by or decides to by any chance marry a, a Negro, these are the penalties that you are subject to because you're doing that. And and those are the type of things that if you're not, uh, I, I guess I'm going to say careful, yeah. you could just go buck wild. <laughs> you, could, you could just, I mean, the next person you see who's not of your tone, <laughs> I can see it now. Hey, man. <laughs> I know. I mean, because it's really, and that's one thing that I'm very, I would say, blessed with as far as how fate maybe influences your path yeah. and, and influences how you can deal with things is that I I have come from, as I've said, a, a, an artistic background of being an actor, performer, and many times it's just by being funny. I mean, really, that my instinct is usually just crack a joke, do something funny, make. I mean, that's really it, which right. has helped me in so many ways to be able to deal with this subject matter. Because not that I can make anything funny about it, yeah. but maybe when I'm out of it, I can think about something else, or I can go off and 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 do a play or write something, or just think of something that gets me out of that, or I can even read something and find the humor in it, which is to say that there's there's runaway ads, and I don't know if people are familiar with that at all, but, but if they're not, it's literally, uh, I'd say it's, it's, it's and again, you got to remember that people who are, who are black were considered property. Right. So just like if you had a an ad about a car that you wanted to buy or you had lost, or something you want to put on Craigslist, yeah. how would you describe those things? That's how black, I keep saying black people, we weren't called black then, but how would you describe it? You describe it by its size, by its color, by its condition. And that's how how, uh, black people were were described then. And sometimes in a runaway ad, the person who owns you is trying to get you back because you're worth money to them. And sometimes an ad will say that the person ran away for for no fault of my own. (laughs) You were, you were their master. You were probably beating them every other Sunday for no fault of your own. And it's just like the funniest thing. Yeah. And then they would say something. They'll say something about um, has a, uh, a a dour attitude or, or tends to be surly when they talk to because they're enslaved. <laughs> Did you not get the memo? <laughs> I can I I can't help it, and, and I I do the same thing, right? Of there's something I can get out of this to lighten it, you know, to make right. the sort of humor piece of it, especially. If it's something that's sort of like an uncomfortable thing, I, I remember doing a talk and I get like weird stage fright. It comes in, it comes uh-huh. like at the weirdest times. Right. And, uh-huh. and it's a lot of me, like I'm six, four. So it's uh-huh. like, I can't really hide. Let me just get behind here right now. <laughs> right. And I, I remain, I remember um, talking about an experience at a job and the way that I described it was very like kind of humorous and uh-huh. what it kind of like deadened. And, and, and dampen maybe the story I would tell afterwards, but I'm setting the stage. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's working for these nonprofits, you know, the type that, you know, a lot of right. white women on walls and brown people that are helping out for the right. camera. And, you know, we're kind of describing that and people are sitting there like, that's ridiculous. And I now feel like I'm there. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's just what 
I, I, I try to remind people, and again, while I'm trying to remind other people, I'm trying to remind myself yeah. that, that that people have the same basic instincts in them. It's just different situations that you're born into, or diff- and even born into specifically with your family or your neighborhood or your, your state, your community or your county, and then different times you're born into. Yeah. We're born into the 20, 21st century, which has a lot of technological things we can do, such as doing this conversation with each other, not in the same room, <laughs> not in the same city, through a computer. Yeah. Now, 100 years ago, you couldn't do this. 200 years ago, my God, you couldn't do this. So <laughs> so, and so that's the situation that we're in. But still, we we, we have to eat. We, mm-hmm. we uh, have to sleep. We, we do something probably to, to earn a living or to earn the the wherewithal to uh, obtain food <laughs> that we can eat and clothes that we can wear so that we can survive during the, the different courses of the weather and probably seeking love and avoiding and avoiding hate yeah. feelings feelings of, of jealousy feeling of rage feeling of happiness feeling of joy it's just a matter of where is our situation and so within that, I think with these different pieces of of, uh, of records that I look through about enslaved people and those people who enslaved them, every now and then I try to find something that's very uh, contradictory to the situation, yeah. and, and that can be funny because a person is is talking about something which shows a lack of self awareness of what yeah. they're doing about somebody else who they have they're treating as if they're not human and yet they're they're bemoaning their human characteristics right which is to say that they have a dour attitude or they ran away for no cause of my own it's like because all of a sudden they're 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 assuming that wow i've insulted that this person ran away from me like i'm <laughs> like, one of the good ones i get yeah, one on thursdays hello i know right right I, I immediately as you were just you know describing it initially i, I started thinking of like if and it couldn't be and it wouldn't be but if it were done like those sort of car commercials or what have you, it was like, yes. here's the 2023 like Negro. And it's like, yo, oh, this I... is, this is dark. <laughs> exactly. But that's the big old key and peel, uh, key and peel thing when it was, I think it was a play on roots. I think it was, but, but they, but they were on the block and, and at first like, Oh gosh, I'm, I'm sorry, man, this is going to be horrible. And then they keep getting passed over that. Well, how did they pick him over me? <laughs> What's going on here? <laughs> Now that just doesn't make sense. That's not right. That's just not right. But it's funny, and and you you wonder. I don't know. I mean, it's just the things that probably would go through your mind when you're in a terrible, terrible situation to try to survive. Mm-hmm. And and I, I don't know. I don't know. It makes me wonder. So so you you, you mentioned the Ken Peel like uh, scenario and referencing your your uncle. Um, yes. And so your uncle's Alex Haley, what have you, mm-hmm. and. I, I want to get a sense of like some of those sort of motivations, because I would imagine like there's at least a conversation like, look, this sure. is food. so what are some of those like, like motivations early on in the beginning of sort of pursuing this sort of work? Because as you were saying, like, it's, right. you know, you got to use comedy somehow at times to try to dampen like this is this is an existence. Right. So exactly. what was what were some of those motivations, you know, in your work early on? You know the work that you're pursuing like professionally your work that you're pursuing creatively um in the beginning was it something more oriented around passion or curiosity um that drove it in the beginning and what's continuing to drive it 
it was always passion. It was a passion. And and before, whoop, hello, <laughs> the lights just went off. <laughs> See, this is a state building. Keep keep paying your taxes. <laughs> okay, now <laughs> the lights are back on now. Right back yet? Somebody just put in a bill. All right, good. Uh, it 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 began. I think for me, it really began because my 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 grandmother Ziona gave me a book when I was like eight or nine years old called the uh, the American Heritage History of the Negro in America, and and I was amazed and i guess really the two were amazed and again you're really really young you're amazed by a lot of things but i was amazed when i opened up this book and there were all these black faces in it and i thought this is crazy because all i knew about it, that it was frederick douglas harriet tubman and george washington carver those are the only three names that really rang bells with me from a historical point of view i mean i i, I was alive when martin luther king was a, a i mean martin luther king is somebody i was aware of I wasn't aware of of other people. I was just too young, or they were before my time, like Malcolm X and Medgar Evers. I mean, people who I subsequently learned about had no idea about. But Malcolm X, I knew about. But I mean, Marvin, Mark, Marvin Gaye, and all this, all the other different people. But there were so many different people in this book who were black who had contributed to to American history. That I thought this is amazing, and I I really want to know more. So from that point on, I was always interested in Black history, and then I was interested in reading about uh, Black performers and what did they do. And because we didn't really see much on TV, it, I mean, there was no BET, there's no TV One, there's not. I mean, there's, not, there's no Tyler Perry or there's no Oprah. I mean, there's hardly anybody. There's, right. there's Sammy Davis Jr. And then the other people who were who were dismissed were way back when, before I was born, way back when. So like your your Hattie McDaniel or your Step and Fetch or whatever, those are people who's like, huh, who, what? Those books introduced me to them. Hey. So that's what got me into it. So when Uncle Alex blew up, because my early years, he was he was my uncle. He was my father's oldest brother, and he was somebody who I'm pretty sure I knew wrote for Playboy magazine did the original interviews i think i knew about that <laughs> i i knew i couldn't read them because <laughs> then i would get i would get the back end of the brush so uh i knew that wasn't for me and and my parents didn't even want me to read the autobiography of malcolm x because they thought that was i was too young to read that book because it was just so so serious even though i knew that uncle alex had had been the person to um to whom um malcolm x told his story that was sure. also a book that they did not I mean, they didn't specifically keep it from me, but there was definitely a sense of like, we don't really, we're not encouraging you to read that at your young age. Right. Uh, so, but when Uncle Alex blew up, what I really started thinking more than anything else was to start looking at genealogy. Yeah. And, and a genealogy on my mother's side, because Roots is on my, my father's father's side, actually that's Queen, and my father's mother's side is Roots. So I started to think when Queen came out that I wanted to start doing genealogy on my mother's side because people would come up to me and say, well, you already know your history. And I would say that, well, my mother had something to do with it. Right. <laughs> There's this book called The Birds and the Bees. So she was one of those. <laughs> and, and, so, and so that's what really kept me um, or got me into the genealogy point where I, I just love it to this day. And I think it's fascinating to this day. And I and I. I'm writing a book about it right now to try to give people tips and remind myself of, of how best to, to go through trying to find out stuff about your family history and also be prepared for what you might find out. Because 
as everybody knows, we are people. And the people that we're trying to find about are probably people too. <laughs> so they may do things that nowadays you'd be upset if you put it on internet. <laughs> but back then they couldn't put it on internet. So you're finding it. <laughs> Somewhere uh, Henry Louis Gates is giggling. <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Right. I found this, but I don't know if I'm going to put it in a final cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, and, and, and thank you for that because, you know, I have this desire, my my partner, she has this desire as well, because um, we always make fun of her. It's, it's like, like, what's this What's this white hair you have? It's like, you're a black person. It's like, your hair is, what's mm-hmm. going on? Her sister and her mom will mention it. Like, I don't know where that came from. Oh, and, that's funny. And even, you know, looking at just some of the different tests in there, you know, you, you but you want to be informed. You want to have some sense, I think, inherently, that, you know, having sort of, the historical thing that one reads and learns about you're like where am i from and you have that sort of desire to go deeper and deeper and and learn about it and and kind of learn origin and and things of that nature not that it changes really anything but it does give extra context right Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's one of one of the the aspects of of genealogy or family history that is that is most important is, is to to not to excuse anything but but to but to try to remember that just like when anybody writes a, a history, I guess a historical historical biography, then it's not just about who the person is and what they did. It's the time in during which they did it. Just as I said earlier, we all have our basic uh, needs, wants, desires. However, the environment that we're in will influence, if not specifically, weigh how we can approach those those desires or fulfilling those those basic human needs and i think that with um with genealogy you're able to find out specifically what someone did as an occupation who they married what kids they had but if you're really trying to flesh out the story you want to find out what job they had how long they had it where they lived if there are any hobbies they had uh what what if you really want to get deep, did you you want to find out what they passed away from because it may be something that runs in a family, things yeah. of that sort. So I think it's it's so, and also I feel like at least for me, what I try to impart with people, especially young people too, although maybe they get it, maybe they don't get it, because when I'm talking young, I'm talking grade school, <laughs> is that you are important right now. You may not think you're important right now, mm-hmm. but you're already historic right now. And I know I've said this on other broadcasts before, because the the day you're born, let's say within a week, there's this there's this this document that's historic and it's going to be kept forever and ever. And it's called a birth certificate. So that's that's one thing. And then if you are if you pass through a a year with a zero on it, then you are in another document which is called the federal census, and that is here forever too. So no matter what you do, how down you feel, how up you feel, people will be able to search you out for those two records alone. So if you're feeling really, really down, just remember you are historic. <laughs> no matter what you do, if you cheated on that test, you're historic. If you got an A on that test, you're historic. If you kiss that girl, you're historic. If she smacked you in the face, you're historic. So either that, way, that, that makes me feel great now. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a, I don't have a zero. I got a five, <laughs> so I'm in the middle. You know, just right, right. Mm-hmm. but but still, you know. But if you pass through a zero, then you are on some record. So you you were there. <laughs> And, and the you thing were that, there. And, you and, were there. And I think one of the things that you touched on, I think that's so so apt and so important. Like, you know, I, I think from my my standpoint and kind of looking, like my mom 
didn't know her dad. So that's like a missing thing. I don't have that grandfather per se. Um, So it would be really interesting to find. I'm like, oh yeah, you know, your grandfather had a radio station back. And I was like, you know, now I'm just like, this is where it comes from. Uh, You could do that and play those different games. But it's, it's really like we, we, we get a lot of, at least the school system I went through, you get a lot of other people's stories and their histories and so on. And there's just missing pieces of your own. So I think that sort of work that you're describing really has that sort of effort to fill in some of those Mm -hmm. things that are left out at times very intentionally. And people would know that about you, especially nowadays they'll know that about you because everything is online. And mm-hmm. people can even do that Wayback app or whatever the Wayback, whatever that website is, and they can find out some of these. The Wayback uh, machine, yeah, so, yeah, the Wayback machine, right? That that you already have because what you have five hundred twenty-two. Yeah, I'm I'm been busy. All right, you've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> you've been up to this microphone. I mean, that's, so, that's 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 my calling, and I and yeah. I like to look at you know, what I'm doing and, and we're going to, we're going to shift a bit into a few other things. I definitely want to talk about some of mm-hmm. your creative pursuits um, a bit more, but you know, that that's really what it is. Like I want to facilitate stories being told and there's a curation component, there's an archival component mm-hmm. and, you know, it's intentional. Some of the folks I have on, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times like, Oh, okay, well you come on. Let's, let's talk about your story a little You're bit. Right, exactly. So, if you will, could you tell no, us? No, five dollar. <laughs> <laughs> I will take it through the screen. Five dollars. That's a, that's a real birthday, move right there. <laughs> my birthday just passed, and I will give you my address. Hold up, hold up. When, really? When? When was it? It was Monday the twenty third. Was that Monday the twenty third? Whenever Monday was, whatever the twenty third was. Uh, my Aquarius brother. Mine was Friday. Really? Yeah. Oh, how about that? That's why I'm seeing all of these these weird similarities. I'm like, oh my god, that's crazy. Like, why am I talking to a, an adult version of myself, like a more yeah, polished right. adult version? Oh my god, yeah, Aquarius, Aquarius. So, um, like, talk about like some of the because you you had like this prestigious background, but you're on multiple boards or what have you. Mm-hmm. So, talk about some of that in terms of preservation and promotion of African American history and culture, and just kind of hammering that point home. And we're going to talk about a few other things, but at least want to get that sure. piece out there. Uh, well, I, I, what, what's amazing about that is, is for people who are who are listening, depending on like what your path is, there's a, at least for me anyway. For uh, a difference to somebody else who's sitting in this chair talking to you, there's a time when you don't feel like you'll ever be asked to be on a board. There's a time when you, you know, it's like we're back in school. Well, who's going to pick me for the kickball team? <laughs> who's going to pick me for the dance? Who's going to pick? Well, there's a time when you get into a career, a professional career, what have you. Uh, that who's going to pick you to be in a school play? Who's going to pick you to be in this? So when you become a professional and you're like in a history field, who's going to ask you to do a talk? Who's going to ask you to be on a board? Who's going to ask you to be on an advisory board? And you start wondering if it'll ever happen. And then it happens. And then you're like, oh, well, what do I have to do? Well, you advise, you 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 um, you give some money, maybe sometimes you donate some money, and then you um, you you share some of whatever your expertise is. And so that's what started happening to me. And the first few boards I was on were, I'd say, primarily artistic ones. I was on the Annapolis Arts Alliance. So that was because they knew that I was an actor and I also wrote. And and, and I did that in this Annapolis area. Then I was on something called the Jake Savage Foundation. That was, again, from my artistic point of view, 
because I was very much, I had a radio show and a TV show for public access called Undiscovered when I was trying to be the nice version of American Idol, where I didn't have to like bitch people out or something like yeah. that. I would, I would try to encourage them and give them an opportunity to, to, um, to sing or, or, or to perform or whatever, or, or play their, their instruments. So, so those are the kind of boards I was on. And then I was on it's, uh, Historic London Town, and and that was because in my position as director of the study of the legacy of slavery in Maryland, they wanted a, a, a broadened aspect of those persons who were who were black, free and enslaved, who may have worked, who may have toiled at London Town or in that area, which is in in Edgewater, Maryland. Yeah. So that that became what I was I was added to. So they would look to me, I would say to some degree, uh, for measure of. Okay, check us. If this is what we're supposed to be saying, if this is how we're supposed to say it, please check us. I mean, that's sort of kind of why you're here. I mean, you have to you have to be careful of that because on the same by the same and here that word token. I was waiting for you to say it. <laughs> by the same token, you want to be careful of the fact that you are not used as the uh, excuse for something is done incorrectly. Yep. Well, we had Chris Haley on a board, so so you, you you can't say we were. I mean, he didn't stop us. So we have that one black friend. <laughs> right, I got a black friend up in here. Talk to the brother. And so so that was part of what uh, I have. Uh, you, you're just aware of it because yep. you know that when you're on a board, there's a responsibility. There's a there's a I'm going to say there's a respectability and there's also there a matter of what you're bringing to the table and that type of, I guess, onus on you to do that. And, and if, and you, you can feel a measure of pressure because you're like, am I doing enough? Am I, am, do I, am I fulfilling whatever role the people who, who uh, nominated me and, and then subsequently, voted me into this board am i fulfilling that or are they, or i mean worst case scenario it's like some people now have said i think the other day one of my cousins said well you know barack obama was a black president don't expect to see another one in my life now in my generation not my gener my father's generation he never expected to see one in his life right unfortunately he lived to see barack obama but i but i feel like that's one of the things that also goes through your mind because on most of the boards I've been in, I've been one of the few yeah. black people who have been on the board. So, and often you do feel, or I have felt, not in an overt way, but in a, I guess, a subtle way, that just as I as I joked about before, if it's a if it's a, a matter of racial sensitivity, whoop, the eyeballs mm -hmm. going to turn to you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're talking about this now. We're going to keep talking about it until you stop us <laughs> or something. It, it, it reminds me of that scene from uh, the show Taboo. And it's like, <laughs> you know, they have like, the, this is the stuff that's on the record. And then when they get in all the weird, hey, we're trading slaves here. It's like, yeah. hey, we're going to pause the record real quick. Right. I can't believe this. He's from the dog continent. Um, so as, as we kind of like look at a few, for a few of the sort of creative uh, projects that are there. Could you talk about a project for you that comes to mind, that project or any accomplishment related to your creative pursuits that you're particularly proud of, like you have like fond memories of, or it's just something that really sticks out for you? 
I, I would say that that's something I'm really proud of from, from the creative end is uh, the, the 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 movie that I was co-director of called Unmarked, which is about the uh, the often unknown burial sites for free and enslaved African Americans that goes back during the time of slavery and also through through let's say relatively speaking modern times and certainly into the 20th century that I was brought on through uh, Brad Bennett, who's a filmmaker out of, um, of all places, Lynchburg, Virginia. <laughs> but, but I met him through, through the U Utopia Film Festival, which I'm also the director of in Greenbelt, Maryland. And he had brought a film called Forgive, Don't Forget, which won our Utopian Vision Award back in 2017, I think. And subsequently, because he knew my my job at the at the archives with the, again, the, the Legacy of Slavery program, he thought I might have some insight into this background because he knew people who had volunteered to help uncover and preserve sites where they believed um, blacks had been buried and we didn't know where exactly they were. And and that was that subsequently won a, a nomination for an Emmy for the capital region and mm -hmm. uh, as a documentary. And that included some references certainly to Virginia enslaved people and burial sites in Virginia, but also some here in Maryland and certainly in the Anne Arundel County area. So I'm very, very, very proud of that. And also just recently, I've been able to get some some poetry books published. And what I feel good about that is, is I mean, it's all a journey, okay. but within these, I was able to get some validation. I mean, there's no reason, no other thing that as an actor, you sort of can get instant validation or repudiation because you're on stage and people, if you're if you're doing something funny or you think it's funny, then they're gonna laugh. Yeah. If they don't, then either the line wasn't funny or you didn't say it funny and you get that, you get that sense. If it's dramatic, then just as I said when I was singing that song, take me out to the ball game, which what would not think that's like from, uh, I don't know, Sweeney Todd, but you sort of want people to clap when it's over. You don't want to hear a pin drop. Or, but if you do, you think, well, I guess that wasn't really a happy song. Take me out to the ball game. So, uh, <laughs> so that was a a kind of a, a, another thing where I felt really good about about doing a poetry book that was accepted by a publisher. Yeah, and it was this thing called um, the Hill Rag, which is out of Washington D.C. And they accepted this poem I had I had written, which I don't remember the name of it. It might have been, as a matter of fact, it might have been Awake. And, and and yes, it's about it's about people who are against those of us who they disparage as being woke. Mm. And the point is is that you don't want me to be awake. You want me to still be asleep. I don't remember how exactly how it goes, but that was but that was the general sense of it. Is that you are against me being aware of my heritage. You are against me speaking up for my heritage. My speaking up for my heritage makes me awake to you. Mm. So you'd rather me still be uh, be asleep and be, uh, uh, I guess, comatose against uh, inequality and things of that sort. Well, I will be awake. I will be awake to the day I die. I mean, it was. It was that, I mean, that was the theme of it, and it was accepted by this outside. Uh, magazine or uh, which comes out in DC and uh, I didn't know anybody in it so it was it was like oh they really really did accept mm -hmm. it and literally I was just talking to a, uh, a colleague today 
uh, who I just met, and we were talking about this competition where only one person had had submitted something, and there was an award. So should we give the award? Should we not give the award? And I would say, how you know, it's so for those of us who are artists who have to go through a submission project process, mm -hmm. whether you're an actor or a singer, and you have to audition to get the gig. As a writer, you submit an article and hope that it gets published. And you go through so many rejections. And I'm sure there's probably somebody out there who doesn't, but certainly I have gone through many, many rejections. And so when somebody does finally say, yes, we want your, your poem, or yes, we want your song, or yes, we want, it's unfortunate, but I was just accepted into the Maryland Bards uh, poet group that they're going to have an anthology. And I got a poem accepted into that the yes. other day. And I, and I swear to you, Rob, I was like, huh. I mean, I mean, I'm so happy. I'm so, I mean, internally and, and spiritually, artistically, I'm so happy to have, because I submitted it to be accepted. And I'm so happy about that. But you're so used to being rejected that after a while, when you get accepted, you're like, well, what happened? <laughs> what, what, did nobody mm -hmm. supply? What's the quality of the people being accepted? It's, it's, it's that terrible thing where you go to, I wouldn't go to a party that I was invited to. It's, it's crazy. And, and so that's, so because I have been accepted more and because people who I've asked to read some of my poetry books before I, I actually put them out there, yeah. they have said positive things. And I don't think it's because, I mean, I didn't pay them that $5, which I'm still waiting on you for. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they have, I feel like they really do like, like what I've written because the way that they express it seems genuine mm -hmm. in difference to forced and and maybe some of the ones who haven't given me a review yet maybe those are the ones who don't like it but they don't they don't want to say anything yet maybe that's why i haven't gotten a response from them but so that's what i think has been most satisfying and that's what i've been pushing of late certainly there's been some plays i've finally gotten a jesus christ superstar to play judas after wearing that album out for the movie <laughs> and the play wore it out and i finally got in that at bucks county playhouse I finally got into a production of Ain't Misbehaving first in in uh, the Claridge Casino in, a, in a Atlantic City. And then subsequently, and that was after, I'd say, it could be seven or eight auditions. It was incredible. The number of auditions I went to in New York to finally get in as an, as an understudy yeah. to play both parts. And I've always been skinny as a rail. So for me to be the understudy for the Ken part, it was kind of a reach, but but there I was. I was the understudy for the Ken part, and another guy who was more, I guess, medium frame was for the uh, Andre part. Yeah, and I mean, it took forever. So I was so happy that, that the thing that wasn't great about it was that my mother was my biggest fan, and she had passed away. And she loved going to Atlantic City. She loved just gamble, sit at the slots, and work that thing. And I know she would have loved seeing me in, in Atlantic City performing where um where she loved to go anyway so that's that's the you know the bittersweet part about that so so as performance goes that was wonderful getting on the wire a couple of times playing a good guy both times you know that was pretty nice <laughs> maybe and it's crazy because i mean for, for those that persons that you have on your show who are actors for most of my young years i guess i had this sort of um i i guess I guess I could say pretty boy face. So I would always get the really this this sweet little the friendly the nice and usually the 
for for those who know what industrial film is, which is just mm-hmm. within whatever industry you're talking about, like it could be the podcast. I'm sure there's a, probably industrial films about podcasts now. <laughs> it's just for podcasters like yourself. You would be seeing them, yeah. and, and and that's called in-house. Got it. Yeah. Especially if it's union, it's in-house. If you do it, if you do it, it's not union, and you're union, then it's the other house. <laughs> because if you get caught, boom, you get penalized. <laughs> But I would do some of those. And I was always a guy who's making mistakes and always, you know, screwing up. Mm-hmm. As I've gotten older now, I play the guys who are the, the probably the mean or the sober <laughs> supervisor. Or now I'm getting I've gotten in two things for one was for BET, this show called For My Man, and another show called Relatively Evil, where I was a bad guy both times. And I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously bad. I mean, one, one was like a double homicide murderer, Oof. and the other guy was someone who was just an abusive father. And I mean, over the top abusive father, to the point his son ends up dying. And this, is, of course, based on real life, yeah. his son ends up dying, and so he was a suspect because he was such an abusive father, and people knew about that. So it's just how things change. I mean, I don't know if I, I, I don't look at myself and say, oh yeah, you, you should be a killer. <laughs> you would have won. I remember, I remember at one point when I. He was doing just a few like background things, what have you, and having having some interest in some of the folks I've spoken with, actors and folks in casting. And I just remember one person reached out. It's like, do you want to be a drug dealer for us? I was like, well, I guess that's playing against type a little bit. And, <laughs> you know, the the one thing I, I joke with my partner, I joke with my girl with, I was like, look, I don't look like him enough, but I'm like similar size. I was like, I want to play Charles Mangus. And she was like, go on. I was like, I want to just yell at other podcasters. Like, but you're not getting it right. I'm like, oh, that's funny. I'll have a double base. <laughs> I <laughs> like just, that. So, so um, you actually answered the the second question that I had in there. So kind of out of the real questions before we move into the rapid fire, not the BS questions. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to um, kind of provide space here. Um, if you had anything you wanted to share, you know, here's an opportunity to share. I mean, you can't say, uh-huh. you know, I'm a random opinion. And there's poetry. Right. So, you Since know. I did submit it, nobody could turn it down. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so this first, I've written three books. One is called Obsessions which is the first book I wrote. And these are all poetry collections, or as uh, one person who reviewed my stuff calls them poemoirs, because in her view, she said some of them have verse, some of them have rhyme, but but since some of them have both, mm-hmm. that, that they seem more kind of a memoir with some elements of rhythm to them. And yeah. I thought that's really true, because these, I, I will say, I mean, I don't even say quite honestly, that you, whereas some of these poems I've written or some of these pieces I've written are totally made up, I'd say 75 or 80% have some resemblance to fact, some basis in fact, which I think a lot of writers, I guess, do, unless it's science, science fiction, which <laughs> when you've just been doing some drugs, <laughs> and then you're like, Luke <laughs> Skywalker, what? <laughs> But in one called Until the Right One Comes Along, and the most recent one is Fist and Rainbow. So first I'm going to do Obsessions, which I will tell people was written in 1998. And so it was different things that I was obsessed with. Some could be your looks or lack thereof or your career, which is things about here about trying to be an actor. But also there was this thing going on at that point called, or after that, before that point, which is the O.J. Simpson trial, which was the thing. It was a big old deal. And so I wrote this whole section in this book called, um, it was the O.J. Suite. And the the title of the section was on the sadly outdated state of affairs, which was the OJ Suite. And so this piece is called Glut. Nine books on the shelf, more throughout the stacks, carrying different titles, 
various slanted views. I wondered why the shelf didn't have its own sign, like the other literary genres, fiction, nonfiction, romance, mystery, OJ. Of course, it wasn't necessary. Do you remember where you were when you first heard this news and it was just a passing story? Do you recall when the story was small? It was, I was driving home from work. It was sunny. It was June. Something about OJ's ex-wife murdered. The TV screen showed him in handcuffs. I thought how awful. They wouldn't have done that to a white guy. Take him off. And they did. He was in Chicago after all. Oh, he was in LA when it happened. The story had grown tall. Our parents remember JFK and where they were that fatal day. I was home from work. By my set, I stayed. I watched the Ford Bronco crawl away. How surreal it was. Will we see his head exposed like the Zabruder tape had nothing on this? Worldwide coverage on an open road. But where were you when, you, when the verdict was read? The first verdict. The president spoke over the second. I was in a mixed crowd. We find the defendant not guilty. A white woman said he got away with it. A black man said he ought to sue everybody. Black me who thought he did it said nothing. So what do you think of knit caps now? Gloves, golf clubs, lawyers, police, judges, media, Bruno Mali, those ugly ass shoes. Can we revisit the sports hero and the common man? OJ is one for two. Joe Blow would have gone zero. The richness of his class saved him. The vengeance of his class brought him back to the people he appealed to, the black poor. Book after book after book on one man by authors, acquaintances, detectives, lawyers, girlfriends, jurors, and more, digging a hole we all sank into, wallowing in a glut of misery, a pool of pain and blood. Thankful it wasn't ours, but too engrossed to let it go. Let go, America, let go. So that was my, <laughs> yeah, that was my little OJ tribute, so to speak. I dug it. It's great. Yeah. And the one I have for my recent book, Fists and Rainbows, is one that, that now this really happened to me when I was growing up because my mother's mother and grandmother both live in Augusta, Georgia. So around, and every summer we would take a one to two week vacation we would drive down 95 to augusta georgia and also in christmas time so this one time and i and this thing still exists today from what because well it doesn't exist today but it existed then and it's called i remember the billboard and this is again from fists and rainbows available now on amazon i remember the billboard the man aloft a horse riding high in the sky a giant hunting for prey staring as we drove by Dark holes shielded his eyes as we crossed state lines. Painted words shouted, you're now entering clan country. In the back seat, I muffled a cry. Though to some you were a welcome, to a transfixed child you were a horrid sight. I'm sure several cheered your message. It was this black boy you meant to fright. I might never know when you were built. I vaguely recall where you stood. But I'll remember till the day I die, the billboard of the man with a hood. And that was, and I really literally wow. to this day, I remember seeing it. And I don't know, I don't remember exactly where it was. I know I was crossing the state line, maybe in this, I mean, I don't want to just or say something bad about some state, but it might have been going in, into South Carolina from North Carolina. That's what I suspect it was. Yeah. But if you go online and Google 
I guess, clan country signs, billboards, you can see old black and white images of these signs. And mm -hmm. I just always remember that. And I remember, and I was so young that I do not, I don't think I literally knew what the clan was, but I sensed it wasn't good <laughs> and certainly wasn't good for black people. Right. Uh, and it made me think about my father always wanted us to get up really, really, really early in the morning to drive there so that we can get there in one day, in one time, without having to stop for anywhere but, but going to the bathroom. My mother would pack our, our lunch, dinner, whatever, it, deviled eggs, <laughs> fried chicken, and we had it. And I was like, gosh, why are we going so early? I mean, it was dark when we left and dark when we got there. And in retrospect, I think that's probably why he wanted us to go so early, because he didn't Some want downtown. to stop anywhere. So now I just brought down the whole interview. But <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, I think it's I think it's real, and I and and, and thank you for um for sharing that. Um, and just you know speaks to the talent, speaks to the experience, speaks to the just the desire to share that sort of openness there. So so thank you for that. And um, as we move into the and trying to rebound and, and be comical with it, as we move into the rapid fire questions. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I have um, I have a few of them for you, um, and you know a couple of them a little longer than others, but you know the brevity is key here. Okay. So start it off with this one. What is your favorite month? <laughs> Rapid fire, right? <laughs> Boom, and we come to a thud. What is my favorite month? I I, I want to say I mean I was born in January, but I feel like November is my favorite month because when I was living in Florida. The Florida of a, a little bit ago, not the Florida now. Uh, <laughs> hello, that just came out. But, uh, November was the, the year that I usually would, or the time of year I usually would take a vacation. Either yeah. I would go back to visit my folks here in Maryland, or I would just go visit other family I had in North Carolina when yeah. I was living in Orlando. So November is the month I sort of associate with, with my vacation time and more of a relaxed period. It wasn't so, so hot in Florida. And it wasn't as cold as it would be when I was still living in the winter. So I'd say November. I did. Coffee or tea? Tea. Sweet tea. I'm okay. southern at heart. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was waiting for you to have that caveat to a little sun tea, a little, yeah, let's make exactly. it happen. A little lemon in there. <laughs> um, if there were one book that you could read for the rest of your life, what would it be? A book I really, really loved a lot was A Place in the Sun. Oh, no, An American Tragedy, which became A Place in the Sun, which is the the, um, the story of a young man named, um, I can't remember, Clyde or something like that. In the movie, it was by Theodore Dreiser. In the movie, it was Montgomery Clift and Elizabeth Taylor. And it's about this guy who who comes up from, a, he's a very poor person, and he ends up striving to be, to be, a, to make it in the world. And he ends up meeting somebody at a factory and and she falls in love with him. They have a relationship. He likes her, but he never falls in love with her. And a tragic accident happens where she dies uh, after he has fallen in love with this woman who is everything he would want. And she's in a, a, a great, magnificent family, too, which was Elizabeth Taylor. And just the arc of this story of, a, of an everyman who goes from nothing and achieves what he is at, at the, the fingertips of what he wants to have. But even though he had thoughts about murdering this this girl, he wasn't he he decided not to go through it. But the tragedy happens where she dies. And because he doesn't come clean with that, mm. he ends up being found guilty of it as if he murdered her. And so and, and this is something about the poignancy of it. And, and again, the arc of it. I, I just always admire 
that that story, that novel. Thank you. And this is the last one for you. Uh, putting on your historian cap, name a local figure, Maryland-based, I suppose, um, that listeners should should check out, like from a historical relevance sort of standpoint, that it's like, this person doesn't get enough love, and I think that they should get a little of attention. Wow, that's a great question. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I certainly did not know that was coming up. Um, oh, Joe Gans. Hello. That is a definite answer. Joe Gans, and for those of you who don't know, how shamed you should be. Joe Gans is a, an, a, an African-American boxer, probably the first champion boxer, black boxer in the history, uh, certainly of our nation, if, if not I mean, the world, but who was born, I think, in 1874. I may be getting it mixed up with Paul Lawrence Dunbar, <laughs> but, but he was born in the end of the 20th century, dies in the early Born in the end of the 19th century, dies in the early 20th century, but he, there's a statue of him at, 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 at Madison Square Garden. He's yeah. buried here, I think, at, at the um, Orchard, Orchard Street Cemetery, something like that. I think he's buried. There's two books on his life. One is called The Longest Bout Ever, I believe. I think I have it on my – oh, here it is. Oh, The <laughs> Longest Fight. <laughs> now, you can't see this on the uh, – on yeah. it's called The Longest Fight. He – he is it's a, it's a fantastic story and it's also a tragedy because he rose to the heights mm. but at the time that he was fighting there were really no limits and one of these bouts i think this is the longest fight was 42 rounds long and he got hit very low and i think because of this, this very low hit he i think he he developed a kidney a kidney Oops. cancer whatever and I think partially because he was African-American, he didn't get the right treatment. Also because he didn't take it seriously enough. Mm -hmm. But when he died, from what I understand, what I've read, it was it was national news. And there were throngs of people at his funeral. And I, I, and I to this day, want to be involved in his story as far as, I don't know, actor, writer, producer, director, whatever. But yes, thank you so much for that question. I would have... Boy, I would have smacked myself 15 times if I if I had left this broadcast, this podcast, and not said Joe Gans. J-O-E-G-A-N-S. Please look him up if at all possible. I'm absolutely on the Wikipedia page. I see that he was born in Baltimore, so that's that other yeah. sort of. And uh, 100 in, 145 wins, 100 of them knockouts. That yeah. is insane. <laughs> There's a few clips of him online. Now, again, these clips are so old. Because he, he preceded Jack Johnson. He knew Jack Johnson. From what mm -hmm. I understand, I don't know if they actually, uh, uh, let's say, the, sort of play box with each other, but they knew each other. But it, it's just amazing how prominent he was at his time and is almost totally forgotten, except for the reality that he's not totally forgotten if there's a statue of him at Madison Square Garden, and there is. And I, I went one time and I literally saw it and took pictures of it because I thought, wow. And he's buried right here in Maryland as you could you visit the grave site. I mean, anytime, anytime. It's just, yeah, he's, he's the man. Thank you. He's Thank you for sharing that. And um, definitely one to grow. We like, we like to inform here. Uh, mm -hmm. So so in the, in these final moments, uh, I want to, again, thank you for spending the time with me and, and just sharing. And thank secondly, you. I want to invite and encourage you to tell the folks where they can check you out, website, social media, any of that good stuff. Uh, the floor is yours. Okay. Chris Haley speaks 
Dot-com is my website. I'm trying to keep it as up-to-date as possible. Through a dear friend of mine, Chris Denson, who is also a very talented actor in DC, so I'm plugging him because he's what keeps this thing going. And uh, I'm going to be doing, as far as, as far as if I remember this, because I don't think it's on there, I'm going to be doing a talk at the Baltimore National Heritage uh, Building on February 24th, and it's called There Was Slavery in Maryland? Question mark Because there's so many... I found in my life there's so many things that people either take for granted or 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 do not know about slavery. And I take it for granted myself because I'm in it all the time that I take for granted that people that people think that Harriet Tubman actually had 19 trips and freed 300 people, 300 persons. That's not true. It was more like, well, actually, that's in my talk. I'll tell you what it was more like. And uh, that that she never rescued anyone personally except in the state of Maryland. And, and the truth about when, um, if we, if it was really true that African Americans were banned from reading and writing, and and or not, so I mean things of like that. So I'm doing that that day. I'm doing a poetry reading in Greenbelt, Maryland, this coming Monday at the New Deal Cafe from my book. Well, it could be from any of these books, but Fists and Rainbows, which is from 7:30 to nine. I'm doing another talk. It's so many different things. Uh, February 2nd, I'm doing the, the Legacy of Slavery in Maryland and, and Prince George's County and Forced at the uh, Harmony Hall in, is that Forestville? It's not, it's somewhere, somewhere. but it, it's it's Harmony Hall in Prince George's <laughs> County. I'm doing that. And I don't know. I mean, there's oh, so many. Oh, and uh, Annapolis Film Society is having a screening of a, of a new movie about an African-American school, and I'm doing the Q&A. The filmmaker is going to be there. The filmmaker is a local guy. I don't know if he's from Baltimore or not. Um, the story of the uh, East Side High. And that is about a school. Come on, tell me. It said it couldn't get to the Oh, the educational divide, the story of East Side High. And that's going to be, what is it, 7 o'clock, February 8th. When a federal judge rules that the small town of Cleveland, Mississippi, must consolidate its two high schools because they are in violation of Brown versus Board of Education, the community grapples with self-reflection and moving forward. So the filmmaker is going to be there, and I'm going to conduct that Q&A, and you can find out for um, tickets to, to, to get into that on, online as well. Uh, the Annapolis Film Society, you could go to that. And there's other things too, but there's only so much time. I mean, it's Black History Month. I, I really get a lot of calls. <laughs> I mean, this, this episode is going to be out in February. Right, so right. I mean, and then I got this great podcast called The Truth and Art. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right now. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. I want to again thank Chris Haley for coming onto the podcast and sharing a bit of his story with us. And um, for Chris Haley, I'm Rob Lee saying there's art, culture, history, in and around your neck of the woods, you just have to look for it.